We're going to be in, uh, well, several places today, but we'll start out in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, before we get to that, Pastor Chris, would you stand up uh, back there? I know you're engaged right now, but Pastor Chris, would you stand up right now? And those of you that are going on the domestic missions trip, Angela, um, Daniel, Haley, stand up, you guys that are going. Listen, Pastor Chris has worked very uh, hard on uh, this, this particular trip. There's uh, students from other churches going as well, and he's coordinated with a travel agent for us to get flights all together uh, out of Sacramento and to fly to Portland, and we've rented cars, and, and we're driving over to Mount Hood and so on. I want you to bless these, these young people, and I want you to bless... Uh, no, behind, uh, talking about, you know, he's worked behind the scenes on this trip, coordinated with the folks in Mount Hood. He and I have worked together on that. And uh, God is going to move. There's a church that's been planted about a year ago <clears throat> in Mount Hood. And Mount Hood is a rural community. But the Lord has shown me that he is, uh, he is raising up a flagship church in Mount Hood. I don't know what all that means, but it's going to be a light in that community, as well as a light and a strength among the network of churches that is forming there. And we're going to encourage the work. All right? So I want you to just extend your hand toward these students and toward Pastor Chris. And, and while we're doing that, we'll do that in behalf of the other students that are joining on the trip. Father, we just come before you right now. We bless the work of the Lord in Mount Hood, and we bless these students that are going. I pray that there are some ministry giftings that are ignited in them while they're on this trip. I pray that there is a boldness that comes on them that will not fade away later while they're on this trip. I pray that there's some insight and some understanding from the Holy Spirit. I pray that they receive more than they give, Father, uh, as it always tends to happen. And I pray that they would see that while they are serving in Mount Hood, that they, what they are doing there, they can do anywhere you lead them, including right here. And we give you praise for it. Now bless them, keep them safe, uh, and keep your hand on them, and, and, and do uh, great work through them. Bring healing and life and encouragement and strength, to, particularly to that ministry in Mount Hood. And we give you praise for it in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody shout, Amen. 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 Come here. Look at this. Pastor Chris is just dressed for the occasion. Are we not going to Hawaii? We're going. No, no, no. It's Mount Hood. It's not Hawaii. Next Lord year. bless you. Next year. Next year. <laughs> next year, Hawaii. He's got big vision. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, get your Bibles. Let's, let's go into the Word this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. I always tell you I'm, I'm not particularly a, uh, a theme teacher, but the Lord really laid on my heart today uh, as we're in Father's Day that we should discuss uh, some things from Scripture along um, this strand of thinking. The apostle is writing to the church in Corinthians and uh, he's telling them some of the struggles that he has had. And after he shared with them those struggles and talked to them about some of the hardships and some of the challenges that he faced, he gets to this place and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. I do not write these things to you to shame you. I'm not writing about my difficulty to shame you, but I'm writing, uh, as, I'm writing to you as my beloved sons to bring to you a warning. I'm writing to you as sons. And that's, that's the point I want to make this morning to you. 
Listen to what he says. He makes an observation. He's just making an observation about the kingdom of God at that point in history. And I submit to you that it has not changed today. He says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, many teachers, yet you do not have many fathers. I want you to hear the heart of the apostle. He says, I'm writing to you as my sons. I'm saying to you that you have plenty of people that will teach the word. You have many teachers, many instructors, but you do not have many fathers. And I think he was citing, I think the Holy Spirit was citing an emphasis and, uh, uh, and uh, setting a priority and in igniting our thinking in this area uh, when he said this, you do not have uh, many fathers. Uh, for in Christ Jesus, he said, I have begotten you through the gospel. You, he's saying to the Corinthian church, you are my spiritual sons and daughters. I have fathered you in the faith. I, want, I just want to talk to you a little bit about that issue. There are people here uh, that, uh, that you are fathers and mothers uh, physically in the natural. You have children in the natural. Uh, there are people here who have no children in the natural. Uh, there are people here who wish they had no children in the natural. No, I'm teasing you. Uh, where's Mary? Oh, she's out there working today. <laughs> We're picking on Ben. What's that? That's a confidence booster. I love you with all my heart. Oh. But he says to this, he said, I beseech you uh, as followers of, uh, to, to be followers of me. I want to talk to believers this morning about being the kind of believers that can say to other people, be a follower of me. That's a pretty challenging thing. Can you say in your life to others, you know, you should do what I'm doing. You should walk like I'm walking. You should live like I'm living. In, in our experience, having, having uh, had... Having, uh, had uh, a large family, nine children, and, and having raised children that I perceive are champions in the kingdom of God, uh, that love the things of God, that love the house of the Lord, that do works of ministry, that are raising their children to know the Lord, uh, and, we're, and we're seeing early fruit in, in the investment that we've made through the years in the lives of our children. We have people come to us now who have met our children and who have met our grandchildren and who have uh, and who see the children that we are currently raising and, and, and their walk with God as they are growing up, and they say, how do you do that? I want to reproduce that in my kids. I, I want to reproduce that in my family. I, I want that for, for my household. So we have young families that come and they say, would you tell us how you did that? Well, how many understand that you're not going to convey that in one conversation? But the reality of it is living with a kingdom environment, raising your children in a kingdom environment, raising your family with an understanding of who God is 
and, and making the declaration, not, you know, I'm going to go down a dirt road. Just forgive me. How many understand that there are a whole lot of people that just say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And, and really what they're doing is just quoting a scripture. And then there's some other people that say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And uh, you can like it or not, but that's the way it is in this place. And it is a, it is, it is a lifestyle and a determination that comes that is produced out of the word and out of relationship with God. And uh, so the Apostle Paul here is making the distinction between uh, teachers and really spiritual family life. So I, wanted, I just want, let me just share that with you for a, mi- mi- for a minute. He says, I'm writing to you as sons, you have a whole lot of teachers. And I'm going to tell you something, it's still true today. You have a whole lot of people that, that teach the word, that, very gifted, very skilled, it's appropriate, no condemnation. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're called to be teachers and preachers of the word. And they would love the opportunity to stand in front of you. The phone rings all the time with people who, would, who love coming here that would like to stand in front of you and preach the word and teach the word to you. But when they depart and when they leave from this place and they, they go somewhere, Somewhere else so that they can preach and teach the word. But, they, but that doesn't produce a, relation, a fathering relationship, a parental relationship. That doesn't produce a guiding relationship. That doesn't produce the fruit of fathering. It's wonderful. I love good teaching. I love, great, I love teaching with the best of them. But there's a difference, a dynamic difference that the apostle is making between those that would like to teach you and then go on and teach someone else and those that would like to labor among you, walk with you, live with you, do life with you and impart to you. If you look at those kinds of relationships in the scripture, you look at Elijah and Elisha relationships Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Timothy, you look at those fathering relationships and you get uh, this environment where the Apostle Paul says to, to them, I have fathered you in the faith. I brought you to Jesus. I raised you up. I stayed the course. So what God is looking for in, this, in the context of this passage of Scripture is this. When the Apostle says, you don't have many fathers, he says, there's not enough people in your life He says, I fathered you in the faith. I've walked with you. I've had a relationship with you that is deeper than just teaching you. But you don't have enough people in your life, people who are willing to walk with you while you learn to walk. I'm watching these babies that are around here and and their parents walking with them, mom and dad walking with them while they're learning to toddle around and and making sure they don't fall down. And, And do you know that's relationship? That's time invested. That's, that's care and concern. Okay, the same thing happens in spiritual life. So, so the Apostle Paul is, say, is saying that, that you don't have enough people uh, in your life, people who are willing to walk with you while you learn to walk, willing to do the time relationally, willing to do life with you, willing to, uh, to be there for the long haul. People who care, just as much when you're down as they do when you're doing well. 
The apostle says to them, he says, I, wanna, I want to develop in your mind and in your thinking a priority. Well, now this is, this is certainly, he's talking about spiritual fathering, but I, I want to talk to you about believing relationships here, the relationships that we have with one another that God is intentionally deepening, that he is intentionally knitting us together so, so that you and I become willing to do life together, that we, be, that we are willing to encourage one another in the faith, strengthen one another in the faith, uh, say the hard things to one another, You've had it exampled before. It's wonderful. Not, not every church can say this. And Church of Living Water has had a unique opportunity in, in that uh, as this church was planted and raised up next year's 30 years, right? Yes. Have you been around long enough to do 30 years in a church plant? This church was planted 30 years ago. And in... 21, 22 years ago somewhere, the Lord graced Roger and I to walk together. And, I, and I've told you this before, the Lord gave me a spiritual father when I didn't know that I needed one. We walked together for uh, 10 years uh, uh, leading this ministry and you have watched an Elijah, Elisha experience unfold right in front of you. God has given you a biblical picture of what it means to be fathered in the faith and, th- and then to turn around and to become fathers of faith to, the, uh, to another generation so that we could see how God thinks generationally. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to prophesy some things to you out of, this, out of this teaching here in just a few minutes. We need to be the kind of people who are willing to walk with one another while we learn to walk. How many know there are some folks here that are new in Jesus or that are young in the Lord or maybe they just have a strand of immaturity in them and there's an area in which they're still learning to walk. The Bible says that we're to move with all patience toward one another. Long suffering, the scripture calls it. Do you know why he calls it that? The Bible says that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the good father that Zeta was singing about. He is long-suffering. He's patient. He's willing to wait and wait and wait. Sometimes we look at this old world and we say, God, how long are you going to put up with the mess that seems to be brewing all around us? But, the, but then we're reminded those scriptures ring in our ears. God is long-suffering. He's patient toward us. His mercies are new every morning. He's, not, he, he's so patient because he's not willing that any should perish. And he's giving the space for all who, whosoever will to come to that place of repentance and that place of understanding of who he is. So the apostle is making this distinction. And what he's doing here is he's placing a value. We should place a high value on teachers. We should place a high value on people who can teach the word. I'm telling you, Linda, in the last year and a half or so, she's so invested in crew and in, in, in our Wednesday evenings and spend a lot of time teaching and we've reaped the benefit of teaching. But more importantly than that, some of y'all in, in your relationship with her have, reached, ha, ha, have reaped the benefit of spiritual mothering, of her investment 
in you long term, relationally. And the apostle is making the distinct difference between those who simply teach and walk away and those who will father and mother in the faith and help us all as we learn to walk. Particular areas of our life. This is highly valued in the kingdom. So the apostle says, therefore, in this passage of scripture, follow me. I'm telling you, I feel very challenged by those words when the apostle had so much understanding and so much faith in in the ability of the Holy Spirit to lead in his own life that he had the ability to say, come and follow me. You know whose example he was following? Jesus. When Jesus was calling the disciples, he said, He he said these words to the disciples, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then he went into a three and a half year relationship with them. There's your picture. There's your biblical picture. Come and follow me and I will make you, in, in their case, fishers of men. In your case as well as fishers of men. It, it may be, there may be some other thing that the Lord is saying, come and follow me and I will make you the kind of father that you need to be. Come and follow me and I will make you the kind of mother that you need to be. Come and follow me and I will make you the kind of marriage that you need to be. Come and follow me and I will make you the kind of family that you need to be. Come and follow me and I will make you the kind of uh, of evangelist that you need to be. Come and follow me and I will make you the kind of, uh, of prophet that you need to be. Come and follow me and I will make you the kind of missionary that you need to be. Come and follow me and I will make you the kind of believer that you need to be. Whatever the Lord is saying and whatever that little bracket is in your life of the gifts and the callings and the anointings of the Lord. The the Lord said, that Jesus said, come and follow me and I will make you. And then the apostle says to his spiritual children, those that he had fathered in the faith, come and follow me. Young people, I'm going to challenge you. If you're college age, young married couples and, and, and high school and some of y'all that are sitting in here listening to me, be the kind of people that can look at your friends and that can look at, at the people around you and say, come and follow me. Don't be a follower except of Jesus. Be a leader. Be a light. Be the kind of people who can say to the people around you, come and follow me, and if you will walk with me, I will show you how to walk with him. Develop early the ability to do spiritual parenting in the kingdom. You can do it. Are you going to get everything right? No. But what if we got the idea that we get more right than we get wrong? And that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll do more good than we'll ever mess up. And even when we mess up, he'll take our mess up and make good out of it. That's what the Word shows us. We see it in the Word all the time. Look at the life of David. Look at the life of Abraham. Look at the life of of Solomon. Look at the life of all, all those guys. You see God even making good out of their mess. And some of them made great messes. But yet he says of a guy like David, man, he's a man after my own heart. 
He is pursuing my heart. He's pursuing my heart. Okay, so let me give you some examples. And our call to example. Titus 2 and 2 says, Teach older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love. Teach older men. Anybody qualify for that? To be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and endurance. Similarly, or likewise, or also, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Listen to what it says, men. In everything, set for them an example by doing good. And God's talking to us about relationship this morning. That is more than teaching. That's more than getting up and saying, well, you know, if you'd have done what the Bible says, have you, have you ever talked to that guy? Yeah. I told you so. <laughs> Those are the guys who create the God's going to get you for that doctrine. I told you so. <laughs> Let's not live there. In everything, set for them an example by doing what is right. He's talking about us living in relationship with one another so much so that we can look at the lives of others and we can see an example of that's how you walk with God. I'm telling you, a whole lot of a whole lot more um, generationally needs to go on uh, around here. I don't know how to legislate that versus encouraging it, but some of y'all need to get around some of these guys who've walked with God all of their life and done it successfully and sit down with them and offer to take them to Starbucks and say, let me just pick your brain for a little bit. Let me just get some of the good that's in your life out of your life. So he says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity. In other words, don't preach it if you ain't going to live it. <laughs> We've all met that guy. Seriousness. This is a serious thing. Soundness of speech that can't be condemned. Soundness of speech that can't be condemned. Empty words. Words that are birthed out of frustration and anger. <coughs> words that have no foundation. Particularly words that are said and not really meant. It's like, you know, God bless you, how you doing? And then you, well, I've really, well, that's okay. <laughs> Oops, gotta go. Been a really hard week. Oops, gotta go. That's not what God's that's not what He wants us to do. He wants us to be deeply connected. The word teaches us. Be connected. Be life-giving to one another. Soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So, so that those who oppose you, how many understand that we're living in a culture where we are opposed? If you haven't figured that out yet, 
I'm not going to go. I, if I go down that road, I'm going to get messed up. I'll just, I'll just veer right around that. So those that oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. We're supposed to have the kind of relationships with one another and to build one another up and to love one another so extensively and so accurately and so appropriately that those that are on the outside looking and are like, uh, hey, how, what can you fault them for? They're, they're being good to each other. They're treating one another the way Jesus' example to them. They're building one another up. They're not tearing one another down. They're not smiling in someone's face and then stabbing them in the back. They're actually genuinely concerned about one another. Ephesians 4.16 teaches us, we've, we won't stay here real long, but we're rehearsing something we've read many times and, and talked about, from whom the whole body fitly joined and knit together so that every part supplies. Every single time we are together, the things that we say to one another and the way that we interact with one another and when we fellowship together, those experiences ought to be life-giving, strengthening, and upbuilding. The relationships between those who teach and those who receive teaching ought to be deeper than the teacher-student relationship. Joyo said, it's really interesting to me, I don't know where she is, she was emailing a professor at school the other day, and she goes, it's really interesting to me how you can email a professor and they don't email you back. They don't respond. They never answer your question. I'm like, okay. That's the teacher-student relationship with no depth. There's no, no personal relationship there, right? But God designed the gifts to function in the body in a way that we literally strengthen and enrich one another so that I'm not just teaching you and then you go home and go, oh, that was a good sermon, Pastor but that you understand and that you receive the love and the, and the strength and the encouragement and that I receive that same uh, strength from you and that we impart that to one another through the process of doing life together as a community of faith, as a group of people who are embracing one another, loving one another. That's why we, are, we constantly remind you that fellowship is as much a part of this, the process of being spiritual beings as anything else that we do. When those guys at the chili, co hallelujah, chili cook-off <laughs> were playing volleyball and laughing together and taunting each other when they were missing the ball, Jonathan, wherever you are, there was an exchange of life-giving fellowship taking place, and it was cross-generational. There were, there were some older folks out there and some little kids out there and all of them on the volleyball court. I was watching that unfold, and I was thinking, I was so glad we had, had to go to a memorial service, and we rushed back, got back in time for the volleyball game. <laughs> it was wonderful, and it was deeply enriching to the participants to have the experience of interacting together as the body of Christ in a volleyball game. But the Lord was, was working and strengthening in that process. 1 Thessalonians 2.11 uh, says, For you know how 
like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Now, it is not by mistake that he says, like a father with his children. That means we didn't just talk about it. We took time with you. We encouraged your walk. Some of y'all, we held your hand. We cried with you. We laughed with you. We, there was an exchange of love that was deeper than we told you how to do it. There was an exchange of love and relationship there. How like a father with his children. We were at lunch uh, Saturday, uh, yesterday. John and Felicia took us to uh, Red Lobster. Oh, God, it's so good. And there was this young man there, and, and uh, he had his baby with him, uh, just a few months old, a little boy, and he was just smiling, and, and Daddy had him waving, and Daddy was holding him and bouncing him, and he was waving at everybody in the restaurant, and proud Daddy begins to take him around to all the tables so he could say hi to everybody. <laughs> and, and Jonathan, who's now a father of four, says, it's his first kid. <laughs> Be patient. That's clearly his first Oh, precious. But such a picture of like a father. So the apostle says, I didn't just throw you some truth out there and hope you caught it, but like a father, we walked with you. We had relationship with you. We built one another up. We strengthened one another. The body of Christ is designed to be relational. Because... First, it strengthens the individual participant. Ecclesiastes 4, beautiful passage of scripture. You really should go read this in its entirety. I'm only giving you a little snip of Ecclesiastes 4. Verse 12 says, Though one is overpowered, two can withstand the attack. One, one maybe is overpowered, but two can withstand. And a three-strand cord is not easily broken. What's he saying? Get woven together. Believers, get woven and knit together. Let the Holy Spirit knit you together. Let him join you together. Let your hearts be bound together. Love one another. Build one another up. Strengthen one another. Because a three-strand cord is not easily broken. The body of Christ is designed to be relational because it strengthens the individual participants. The body of Christ is designed to be relational because it edifies the body as a whole. Ephesians 4.16, the scripture we just read earlier, uh, ends by saying the body edifies itself in love. In what? In love. In, does that not denote relationship? In what? Love. In love. So he says there, the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies according to the effective working of each part doing its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Love is the nurture of the body of Christ. The nurture and the strengthening of the body of Christ is through love. You want to feel the love of God? You've got to feel it in your exchange with one another, in your relationship with one another. It, it just jazzes me. I know, I know 
when, when somebody comes to me and they go, man, I was out to lunch with, with you know, I, I think one, one time Martha, told, Martha and Dale were telling me, we went to lunch with Steve and we sat at Westwoods, oh, hallelujah, and, and, and we just enjoyed a time of fellowship. Okay, that's the body of Christ edifying itself in love. Y'all ought to start buying some, some gift cards for one another and saying, when you go, come and get me. Cheesecake Factory, hallelujah. <laughs> Westwood, glory to God. They have good cheesecake too. Edifying itself in love. The key there, edifying, building up in love. Loving one another. The body of Christ is designed to be relational because it brings the believer to maturity. That whole passage prior to Ephesians 4.16 and Ephesians 4.13 through 15 says, till we all come. I love that because uh, uh, all those politicians think they thought of no child left behind. God came up with no child left behind. He said, he said till we all come. Of course, they can't do it his way, so it doesn't work for them, but, but he gets it right. Till we all come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. To the measure and the stature, to the fullness of Christ. Until we all come to the, to the full measure. How many want the full measure of who Christ is flowing through your life? How many want Christ, Christ the anointed one, in full measure? Becky shared that Wednesday night. The anointed one in full measure, pouring out of your life. That's what you received this morning as there was personal ministry and prophetic and healing going on. That's, that's the, the body of Christ in full measure being poured out. That we would no longer, why? There's a goal here. There's a purpose here that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. See, my goal as a father was to raise children that would not be easily blown by the winds of life. When I was a young man, I got a, I got a raise on my job. And back in those days, they didn't pay much, so raises weren't much. But I got a raise, and I was all excited about it. And at the same time, I got, a, I got a note in the mail that my insurance was going up, and it absorbed my raise just like that. Bam. You know, I was like, that, that was a life moment, you know? I was upset. I was frustrated, and I was mad. And I responded that way, and my father said, Boy, I taught you better than that. Grow up. I was like, What? You're supposed to cry with me right here. You're supposed to be frustrated with me for a moment. He said, grow up. I raised you better than that. And I stopped and thought, yeah, you did. You raised me to walk with God. He can afford my insurance. He just did. I wasn't smart enough to figure out that God gave me an increase because there was coming an increase in responsibility. And that he met me on the way. I was upset you took my raise. No. God was providing for me. So my dad said, boy, I raised you better than that. He was about to go upside of my head, I think. (laughs) 
brings maturity to the believer. So that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth, there it is again, in love, may grow up into him who is the head, Christ. Then the body of Christ is designed to be relational because it reflects the heart of the Father. In closing, listen to this. Psalm 68 says, Sing praise to God. Sing praise to His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds by His name, Yahweh, and rejoice before Him. Listen to this. Listen, listen, listen. A Father of the fatherless. It's describing the heart of God. A Father of the fatherless. Every believer, if you've ever been fatherless, if you have wounds from your father because he he made mistakes or didn't do well or 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 what whatever the history there is if you if you grow up without a dad whatever you are not fatherless stop saying that moms if you're raising your children without dads, some of you here are, are single parents trust the father enough to grace you to be the kind of parent that teaches your sons and daughters they are not fatherless and if they need something that you cannot immediately give them or if they desire something that is outside of your reach talk to them about how the father loves them and take them in faith to teach them to pray and go ask daddy god to provide that desire of their heart and watch him be faithful over his word to perform it so that you can raise champions of faith his name is Yahweh rejoice before him he is a father to the fatherless he is a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation listen to this word listen to this word God sets the solitary in families made the statement one time that Church of Living Water, we used to talk about how, how that God was designing us to be a family church and that was the way that we articulated, articulated vision in those days and there was an individual who got all upset, a single adult who got all upset and said, well, family, so I guess you have to be married and you have to have children and you have to, to fit in here. No, families have all kinds of people. They have older people who are empty nesters and they have younger people who are just bringing up families and they have young adults who aren't quite married yet and they have everything in between. God sets the solitary in families. He set you in this place so that you could be built up and encouraged and strengthened and fathered in the faith so that you were not solitary. not supposed to be isolated. God didn't design you to be an island. God didn't design you to be alone. So when you get all frustrated and you stay home and you shut the door and you isolate yourself in your room, God is sitting there saying, I don't understand it. Get over there with the family. Person wants to have friends. The Bible says, show yourself friendly. Get up on, I don't have anybody to spend time with. Make a phone call. Bake a cake, put on a pot of coffee, or in Laura's case, iced tea, and invite someone to come and let there be an exchange of the Spirit of the Father in the midst of His people as we encourage and strengthen and build one another up. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? He sets the solitary 
in families. That is the heart of God. He sets the solitary in families. He brings those who are bound into prosperity. Did you guys hear that? He brings those that are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious, listen, this is much, as much a part of this passage. The rebellious live in dry places. Lonely, rebel against it. Rebel against the process. It's dry and lonely out there. Rebel against the connection. The connectedness of one another together. Rebel against, push against it. It'll produce in your life a dry and barren place. He sets the solitary in families. God's joined us together to make us a community that embraces one another, a community of faith that builds one another up and strengthens one another and imparts the word of the Lord and the strength of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord to the generation that's coming up behind us. He sets the solitary in families. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you for what we've discovered today in your word. We thank you for what we've received. Father, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that this understanding would be deposited in us so that it can produce fruit in our lives. Oh, we give you praise for it. In the mighty name of Jesus. The prayer teams are coming and they'll be right up here with you and and, and available to you so that you can be encouraged and strengthened this morning if you have any need that has not yet been addressed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our worship time in our time together then you need to come to the prayer teams and you need to say pray for me pray with me believe with me strengthen me